Okay, we are in uh, Matthew, picking up in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. But before I get started in that, what I'd like to do is I'd like to to read a portion. And this this is the introduction to the book Joshua. How many people have read the book Joshua or seen the movie? All right. So this introduction is, is actually a true story about the author's family. And, you know, this is what caused him to, you know, th- this sort of family experience is what caused him to write books that were so compassionate. He says, Our family of 12 children grew up during the Depression years. It was routine for people who wandered the streets to stop at our back door daily and ask for something to eat. My parents would always welcome them as members of the family, as my father would give them his place at the table and serve them. His answer to our questions as to why it was so nice to these shabby-looking strangers was that whatever we do to the poor, we do to God. God visits us in the form of the poor. That never meant anything to us until one night. There was a knock at the back door, It had been snowing all day long, and there was over a foot of snow on the ground. We were surprised anyone would be out on such a miserable night. When one of us opened the door, a man was standing there, thin, bearded, and shabbily dressed. Before the man could say anything, my father invited him in and seated him as usual. He offered the man a bowl of soup, but the man declined. Just a piece of bread and a cup of coffee will be fine, was all he said. When my father tried to, take, tried to get him to take something more nourishing, the man said, No, save it for the children. He then proceeded to bless his little meal and to eat it. One of my sisters asked him if he was a kidnapper. No, I love children, was all he said. When he finished, he asked God to bless us all, then took his cap and left, expressing his thanks as he went out the back door. We all ran to the various windows to watch him go out the alley. When he didn't pass, we went back to the kitchen and looked out the kitchen window onto the porch. No sign of him. We opened the back door and looked on the porch. He was nowhere to be seen, and there were no footprints in the snow either, on the porch or in the yard. He had just disappeared. Going back into the house, everyone wondered where he went. Father merely said, you should always learn to see God in the poor. You know, that's a very fitting story for the passage that we're about to read in Matthew chapter 25, reading from verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all His angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne, and all nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them as one one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these, 
brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, you accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they themselves will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This punishment that we read for these people is very different than the punishment that we've read for the last two weeks. The punishment that we read for the last two weeks was looked like it was very much directed toward, um, toward believers for not being about service, and there was no expression of it being an eternal punishment. Just said you're going to go in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or, there was, or the punishment was that they didn't get in, they had to go through the tribulation. Here it says the punishment is specifically eternal. This is an eternal punishment. This is different than the punishment that they were talking about previously. And he says in verse 41, they will say to those on the left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Now you may remember from the book of Revelation that there is a lake of fire. That lake of fire was made not for people. It was made for the devil and his angels, the fallen angels. One third of the angels, the scriptures say, fell with Satan when he fell. God has prepared a lake of fire for them. But people, individuals, will end up in that lake of fire, interestingly enough. Those that, that when this judgment occurs, that are considered the goats, as opposed to the sheep. And then again, he says it in verse 46. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So there were other punishments that were not marked as eternal. This one is marked as eternal specifically. And he says, to the extent that you have done this for another, you have done it for me. To the extent that you didn't do it to another, you didn't do it for me. You didn't do it to me. And so you see that, that Jesus actually considers what we do for others as if we had done it for him. And if you look in this portion... In verse 40, verse 40, it says, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Now, who was asking at this point? This was the sheep. This was the ones on his right were asking, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or in prison or sick and take care of you? And Jesus says to those on his right, so he's among the sheep now, he says, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine. Jesus calls believers brothers. That is common in the scriptures. And he says, to the extent that you did it to one of these, you did it to me. So then the thought is, does Jesus mean this only when we do it for other Christians? Well, if you look in the other portion, when he's talking to the goats, the goats say, said to him, in verse 44, then they themselves will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? 
Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of these, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. He never uses the word brothers. So in other words, he's saying to those who are on his left that are the ones he separates and he specifically says, you know, you're going into the eternal fire. He says, you never did it to one of the least of these, even among them. Almost to the extent that had somebody ministered to them, they would be over here and be brothers. So it's not just to brothers. It is to people. It is to individuals. Because in the second portion, he doesn't categorize brothers only. He says, if you had done it to the least of them, almost to the extent that the implication is you can win people into the brotherhood side, into the sheep side, if you would have done this to them. And, and, and just, just to dispel, dispel this thought that maybe, maybe Jesus never really gave to the poor. It was only, you know, when did Jesus really specifically give to the poor? When did he do this? You know, or was he only ministering to his disciples? If you turn to John chapter 13, in John chapter 13, Jesus is, is, is pointing out who it is who is going to betray him. Remember, they're at the Last Supper, and, and John leads over and says, who is it that's going to betray you? And in John chapter 13, if, if, you, if you look in verse 26, John 13, 26, Jesus answered and said, this is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one, now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things which we have need of for the feast, or else that he should go give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out into the night, he went out immediately and it was night. So Jesus says to him, what you do, go and do quickly. And Jesus knew exactly what, what Judas was about to do. He was about to turn him over to the authorities. But the disciples didn't know what they, that meant. They assumed that it meant go and give something to the poor. Now, why would they assume, if Jesus says, what you do, go do quickly, why would they assume that that meant go give something to the poor? if he hadn't been doing that regularly, right? We don't make an assumption unless there is that, unless there's a presupposition that there's that behavior in the past. You know, if, if, I, if I get in my, my suit and I get in my car and I'm leaving for, for work, my, my, my sons assume I'm going to work. They don't assume I'm going hunting. But, you know, if I'm loading the rifles in the car and I've got my, my camo hat on and my boots on, they don't assume that I'm going to work. They assume I'm going hunting. You make an assumption based on characteristics that you've seen previously. So if Jesus just says, what you do, go and do quickly, they assumed that he was giving to the poor. There must have been a practice where Jesus would instruct Judas, to go and give something to the poor. Jesus gave to the poor. This is clear. This is what we see. What I want to do is I want to look at some examples of this. But if you look in, in Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, verse 41 says, 
For whoever gives you a cup of water, Mark 9.41, for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. If you recognize someone as a disciple, and in that name you give them a cup of water, there is a great reward. There is a reward for giving to believers. There is a reward. You even give a cup of water, you're going to get a reward. So when people come to my house, they, they might, you know, I might say, yeah, sit down, have something to eat. And so two visitors came a few weeks ago, um, so there, was, there weren't many students around, and we weren't having lunch at our house that week. And some people that don't normally attend this class but come for lunch assumed that we were having lunch, and so they came. And, and Shireen wasn't home. And so it was just me and the boys. And so when they came in, I said, uh, can I make you an egg? No, 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 we're, we're all right. And so I said, have something. So I made them at least take a glass of orange juice because I figured if water is going to get me a blessing, orange juice should at least get me an extra blessing. But I wanted to be sure to give them something because there is a blessing in blessing a believer. But there's also a blessing in blessing unbelievers. If you look in, in, in Proverbs 28... Proverbs 28, verse 27. And here, there's no stipulation that it has to be a believer or not. Proverbs 28, verse 27 says, He who gives to the poor will never want. But he who shuts his eye will have many curses. Whoa. You give to the poor, you will never want. In other words, your needs will be satisfied as you learn to give. When I meet selfish people, I think, boy... <laughs> You probably miss out a lot on things in life. But when you meet somebody who gives to the poor, they will be blessed. And it says, you will never want. He says, but he who shuts his eye will have many curses. Not just one curse. Many curses pronounced on him. I mean, this is a serious business. If you look in, in, uh, in, in Genesis, let's look in Genesis chapter chapter. Uh, 24, Genesis chapter 24. Let's look at Rebecca and look what happened to her. Genesis chapter 24, because she was gracious. She was a giving person, Rebecca. Genesis 24, we'll start reading in verse 12. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your master servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. So the context of this is Abraham is old and he sends out his trusted servant to go and to find a wife for his son Isaac. He says, don't take a wife from around these Canaanites. Go back to my father's country. Go back to that land and find a daughter from among those people. And so he prayed, Lord, how am I going to know? How am I going to know which is the family member? There's a lot of women around here. And how am I going to know it's a quality woman? Let it be the woman that I say to her, give me a drink. She gives me the drink and she says, let me water your camels also. That person who goes the extra mile, I will know is a quality woman. 
Verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. Now, now again, the Bible says she was very beautiful, and the Bible doesn't mess around. You know, and, and she was very beautiful. I mean, this woman was just really good looking. But that in itself doesn't tell you that there's quality there. She was just good looking. But then it says she was a woman, she was a virgin and no man had had relations with her. She was a virgin. The Bible is always speak highly of virginity. It is a good thing. And if that has been sacrificed, then from this point onward, make the commitment that you will save that for your marriage. Virginity is always, both in men and in women, been praised in the Scriptures. And this word virgin is different than the word virgin that's used in Isaiah speaking of the Virgin Mary, because this word virgin needs the qualifications because it says she was a virgin and had no, no relations with her. No man had had relations with her. This one needed the qualification to stress that it was a virgin, not, not meaning because sometimes the word virgin was used for women who had been married and now their husband was deceased. But this had to stress it. The word that's actually used in Isaiah can only mean virgin and never, in the, in the context that you and I view the word, had never had relations with men. And I put that actually up on my website in the, in the uh, individual message section. I think the title is Virgin Means Virgin. Because there was a lot of confusion on this and so you, you, can, you can listen about that. But anyway, it says, and she went down to the, and she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, "Please let me drink a little water from your jar." She said, "Drink, my lord." And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, "I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking." So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was, getting, was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made this journey successful or not. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring, weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her, for her wrists, weighing ten shekels in gold. And he said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again she said to him, We have plenty of both straw and feed and, and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. I mean, look at the picture here. He asks this stranger, this woman, a stranger, for a drink. She lowers her jar, gives him a drink, and then without his asking, she says, let me water your camels also. And a camel drinking is different than, than, you know, than a mouse drinking. Camels apparently drink a lot of water for a long time. And I know they don't fill it up in their hump and everything. I know that. But they just drink a lot of water. So she's running back and forth and refilling this and dumping it in the trough to the camels. And it says, when all of the camels had finished drinking... I mean, she, she, you know, to have a camel finish drinking takes a long time. And if you think about it, he had come from the land of Canaan, had gone up to the area where Iraq is. I mean, the camels were probably really pretty thirsty. 
took a long time. And it says, and she ran back to get water. This is also indicative of something quite unusual because in the Middle East, people don't run. They don't run. But here she was running. And so you see that there was this expression of let me give extra. Then he says, is the room? She says, there's plenty of room at our home. Come, you can lodge there. She saw something in this entourage of people that had come. She didn't know what they had come for. And she says, there's room, there's feed in my father's house. You can come. This giving, this expression, this woman became the wife of Isaac. She is, is, is uh, in this great lineage of the Lord himself and the Jewish people. I mean, she received many blessings many times over. Let's look at, at uh, her future father-in-law, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 18. The graciousness of Abraham. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet. And rest yourselves under a tree, under the tree, and I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that you may go, since you, you, have, you have visited your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. So, okay, so what, what's happening? He sees these three men. Abraham actually recognizes one of them as the Lord because he bows down. And if, if, what we see in scriptures, any time a man bowed just before angels, the angels would say, get up. They would never accept people bowing down to them. But we know that one of the three was the Lord, because that comes out later in the chapter, and then two of them are angels, because if you look down in, in chapter 19, verse 1, and the two angels came to Sodom. So the Lord was left there with Abraham, and the two angels considered went on. So the Lord himself appeared in the form of a man, walking with two angels. What does Abraham do? He says, come and rest yourself for a while. He says, let me bring a piece of bread. Thinking that if he said, let me fix a whole meal for you, it would delay them too much. He says, let me just bring a piece of bread. When they agree to that, he goes and he fixes them a whole meal. So they're sitting down, and then it says in verse 6, So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran. Remember, Middle Eastern men don't run. And Abraham is 99 years old. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant and he hurried to prepare it. And he took curds and milk and a calf which he had prepared and placed it before them and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, there in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year and behold, Sarah your wife will have a son and Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. She laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being also old? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, 
Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. I mean, how's this for a blessing? He gave him a meal, he gets a son. Abraham gives a meal, Abraham gets a son. Sarah needs some bread cakes, Sarah gets a son. When we give to others, we receive back many, many times over. This is what the scriptures say. When you do it for another person, you have done it to me. We receive back many times over. Rebecca had no idea who these people were. She was just a virgin who was a gracious, gracious woman. I mean, she could have said, hey, it's hot out here. I came to get water for my family. I've got my water. Fine, I'm going. I don't talk to strangers. But she lowered this this jar and she said, drink. And it says, when he had finished drinking, she says, let me water your camels also. That's a big deal. And remember, Abraham was a very wealthy man. So when he sent his servant, this entourage with all this gold and all this stuff, probably a bunch of camels. Abraham, being an old man, is running around trying to get this meal ready. For these three men that are passing through. And remember, all they said is, yeah, a piece of bread would be fine. But he goes ahead and he does more than what they asked. Why do this? You know, and, I mean, you, you have a little function. I mean, maybe we could just bring Krispy Kreme donuts for breakfast. That'll, that'll work. I mean, it, but no, you go the extra mile, it is a blessing. And you receive that many, many times over. You see why I say Shireen is going to live like on the Lord's street in heaven? This is why. I mean, you receive that blessing so many times over. What it's done for my family. So, you, you, you know, we, we, we serve this little bit in my home. And what my children get back so many times over. What we get back from people. Just in the blessing to our family. That comes back many times over. There's blessing that comes. Look in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And you see a woman standing by a well. Jesus himself is sitting there. And he's thirsty. John chapter 4 verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria... To draw water, Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? And then the discourse goes on. And finally the woman perceives that Jesus is a prophet and she runs away. She never gave him the drink of water that he asked for. Never. And you never see a blessing on this woman. I mean, there was a witness to this woman. But if she had put that thing in there, pulled out the water and given him some water, who knows what she would have gotten. She gets into this big theological dialogue with Jesus. Discussing theology is different than giving a glass of water. We may think we have done something grand by having a theological discussion with somebody. Jesus says, give him him a glass of water. 
Jesus never said, love this ideal, love this concept, love humanity. He never said, love humanity. He said, love thy neighbor. He gives us something very, very specific. Love thy neighbor. It starts right there. You want to know where your ministry is? It's the people next to you. That is your ministry. It is not all of humanity because you'll never know where to start. And if you think it's all of humanity, you'll just grow up and become a professor and be pontificating about humanity. And work in the College of Humanities. (laughs) But you will do nothing for your neighbor. He says, love thy neighbor. This is what he says to do. You love thy neighbor. And he doesn't say you do this just for Christians. You do this for anybody. You love thy neighbor. We have neighbors who are from Kashmir, the Kashmir region of India, and they're Muslims, and they are the nicest people in the world. When we go on vacation, I give them the combination to our alarm system in case there's a problem in the house, and I give them the key to the house. They are the nicest people in the world. I wish I could be as nice as those people. Gracious people. Jesus says, love thy neighbor. That's what he says to do. This woman got into this theological discussion. She ends up running away to tell all these people how this guy prophesied and knew that she had had five husbands and she was living with a man. Because Jesus tells her this. And then she says, I perceive you're a prophet. But still, she never gave him a glass of water. I mean, the poor guy was thirsty. He'd walked all the way to Samaria. He didn't have a canteen with him. He was thirsty. And still she didn't give him a glass of water. When you learn to be gracious, you will be blessed if you learn to be gracious. Learn to be gracious and you will be blessed. And this is not just for your family and friends. You know, people think, well, I I take care of my family. You know, I feed my kids. Well, good for you. That doesn't mean anything. Look in in, in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Reading from verse 31. Luke 6, 31. Treat others the same way you want, to be treat, you, you, you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive... What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. You know, people say, well, you you know, I I don't give. I, I, I send my kids to Christian school. That's giving to a good cause. No. That's different. You are expected to give to your family. The Bible says if you don't provide for your home, you're you're worse than than a heathen. He says even sinners take care of their own family. He says you're to go beyond your own family, beyond your own friends. In Luke chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus actually says, when you have a feast, don't invite just your friends. Look in Luke. Just turn over to Luke chapter 14. Reading from verse 12. And he went on to say, Luke 14, 12. And he went on to say 
to the one who had invited him. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since those do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He says, invite people that don't have the means to invite you back to their big home. Then you'll be really blessed. Because remember, if they invite you, that's your reward. If they invite you, whether you accept it or not, it doesn't matter. It says, if they invite you back, that's your reward. But he says, invite those who the world you know, wonders, why are you doing that? Why do you do that? Invite those. That's what Jesus says. That's what it means to minister to the other. Remember what he said. He, sep- he separates them as the sheep from the goats. This is important stuff. And we never know who really we're entertaining. In, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it says, Just remember, some of you have entertained angels without knowing it. You never know if it's going to be like that man that we read from that author who came and appeared as as some divine appointment. You never know really who you're ministering to. And regardless of whether it was an angel or not, you get a blessing. Remember, a cup of water and and, and, uh, uh, giving the man a drink and, and serving his camels got this woman to be the wife of Isaac. Abraham got a child by serving a meal. There is blessing in serving others who cannot repay. There is great blessing and there's great warning for not serving others. This is what God calls us to. We are to love our neighbor. Where can you start? Where can you start? You know, you live in a, I don't know, invite people to your room and serve them, serve them coffee. Lots of coffee, good coffee, something, hot chocolate. You can do this. There is a blessing in that. What you have, you can do. What you have, you can give. You know, many of you weren't here to to hear about this. Um, Remember in December, they had an offering for the mission fund to send out to missionaries, where every penny goes to the mission fund, and they set a goal of $55,000. The church raised about $110,000. Just amazing. I mean, this church, people put in $110,000 to go to bless the missionaries. I mean, the graciousness, the giving of the people in this church. It's just amazing. And I thank you. And as you give, and as, as you bless others, remember there is reward stored up for you. Great reward stored up for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. You are so gracious and so kind that we give but a cup of water And you give us a great blessing. You promise a great blessing. And you said, you will not lose your reward. Father, teach us to be gracious like Jesus was. Giving to the poor. Gracious and kind. Father, I pray your graciousness abound. And your kindness abound through the lives of the young people here. That they could store up riches and blessing in their lives. Father, keep them from being selfish people holding on to something, lest they lose the treasures and the rewards. Father, I pray that you so work in their lives.
to make them gracious in the name of Jesus. Amen.